Today is our final week, our final stop, if you like, in our road trip that we've been taking over this last month and a half, uh, where we've been on this road heading towards the cross, heading towards Easter. And I hope that it has been a really helpful time for you of being able to reflect on these amazing stories that we have looked at and all the different things that we've been able to learn as we've looked at different perspectives. Um, And then if you have also been fasting from something for Lent, And then if you've also been reading through our John reading plan, my hope is that there's this real great sense of expectation that has been building in you as we get ready for the weekend because it is a crucial part in the life of our church. Uh, It's the core of what we really believe. And sometimes we can focus a lot on Christmas, which is really, really important, Um, but Easter is really at the core of everything that we believe about Jesus' sacrifice and uh, his ultimate victory in that. And so we want to make sure that we're ready for that and that we're excited as we head into next week and take the time to be able to reflect and to celebrate together. This week is called in a lot of churches Holy Week, Holy Week. And the word holy means set apart. And so really when we talk about this being Holy Week, we're saying this is a week that we set apart to be able to focus on the events that lead up to Easter as well as the events of Easter weekend. And so as we get ready to do that and as we get ready to set this week apart, I want to ask you a question. What are you expecting? What are you expecting as we head into this week? And particularly as we head towards next weekend, what are your expectations around that? I know for some of us, we're getting ready to go away. We're going away on family holidays or we're going away to spend some time with friends, uh, doing something that has become a tradition. Every year we're at Easter, we go and spend some time with some people that are important to us. So there's probably some expectations building around that. For some of us, there may be really significant memories that are attached to previous Easter's. I was talking to someone this week who had a granddaughter that was born on Easter weekend, and uh, so for them, Easter always has this memory of a granddaughter being being born. So, is it something like that? For some of us, there are painful memories that happen. Sometimes people lose people who are close to them at or around Easter time, and so that really shapes the feel of the weekend and what our expectations are around that. My hope is that for all of us, there's an expectation about taking at least a little bit of time to be able to slow down and to pause and to reflect and also to be able to celebrate, but to be able to enter into what Jesus went through for us and all of the different emotions that are a part of this week and this weekend. This question around expectations is a really great one for us to be able to dig into as Jesus begins this journey towards the cross. And so today I want to look at this question from three different perspectives to talk about what the expectations were of the crowd who were following Jesus, to take some time to reflect on what Jesus's expectations were heading into this week, and then to wrap up with an opportunity for us to reflect on what our expectations might be in the light of all of that. So let's start with the crowd. I want you for a moment to try and put yourself into the shoes of someone who has been following Jesus, perhaps one of his disciples, and you've been following Jesus for up to three years now, spending a significant amount of time with him. You have seen the most amazing things happen. You have seen people healed. You've seen people set free. You've seen people who are outcasts welcomed in. You've seen the most amazing miracles be performed. You've listened to Jesus' teaching and you've seen him push back over and over again about the religious structures of your day and the way that that has become so oppressive. 
You've heard Jesus really challenge everyone, including you, about what it means to be someone who lives by the spirit of the law, understanding why things are important, rather than just the letter of the law and a to-do list of things that you have to do. In particular, you've heard Jesus over and over again talk about this question of what is the most loving thing to do? What does love look like? And you have seen love embodied in the person of Jesus. There's this building expectation inside of you probably that maybe Jesus is the Messiah, is the one who has been talked about for generations, the saviour, the rescuer, the one who's come to set people free and the one who's finally come to restore Israel back to a full, complete relationship with God. You're excited that this time might have come for God to act. This has been going on for centuries now, that people have been waiting for this person to arrive. And so there's a sense of excitement welling up in you as you think about your expectations. Could Jesus really be the Messiah? Is it possible that that time has finally come? If so, maybe this now, today, is the start of the revolution. Jesus is going into Jerusalem, the spiritual center of Israel. What better place to start a revolution if you're going to do it? So maybe this is it. This is when Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman government, set things right, finally. You have joined with thousands of other people who are making their way on this trek into Jerusalem. People who are going there to celebrate the Passover, their annual pilgrimage into Jerusalem to spend time celebrating and to remember that time when God set all of your ancestors free from slavery in Egypt. The opportunity to slow down and to recognize all of that and to do some things tangibly around it. There's a sense of joy and a sense of excitement as all of these people, all of this crowd is walking this same road in towards Jerusalem. In amongst the crowd, though, there's lots and lots of people who have joined you in following Jesus. Some people who've been captivated by his teaching, just astounded at the authority with which Jesus teaches. Some people who've seen him do amazing things and have been drawn to him because of that. Some people who've experienced healing themselves and so have chosen to join in this crowd following Jesus. And all of them are excited as well. They've finally found a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. There's something about this guy, Jesus, that just changes everything. And so they're thrilled to be on the journey with Jesus as well. Jesus then asked some of your friends, some of the disciples, to go off and find a colt, a young donkey, for him to be able to ride on. And this only increases your sense of excitement. Because you know that whenever a king comes into a major city, a city like Jerusalem, they don't just stroll in, they come in riding on an animal. And there are two different sorts of animals that generally they ride in on. Often, if it's a time of war, or if it's a time just after a time of war, a king will ride in on a horse with all of their military people surrounding them to say, we're going to war, or... We have won the war, and so it's a time of us being able to celebrate our military power and the way in which we have won the victory. But if it's a time of peace, then a king would ride in on a donkey, symbolically saying, I'm not here to fight, I'm just here to hang out, just here to spend some time together with you. So you think it's a little bit odd, because if the revolution is starting, surely Jesus would have chosen a horse But you know Jesus well enough by now to know he doesn't normally do things the way that other people do. And so you think, okay, donkey it is. 
There isn't a saddle for Jesus to be able to ride on this donkey, and so you join with some other people and pile your coats on there so he's at least got something to be able to sit on. Other people start to see what's happening as this man, Jesus, is riding on this donkey. Well, this must be something really significant. And so they start to get excited as well and they throw their cloaks out on the road in front of Jesus. They put palm branches down and other branches from other trees out in front of him. This real symbolism, again, about a king who's coming in. They don't just kind of come in on their horse. They come in with their donkey on a road that's filled with cloaks and branches. And this only increases this sense of excitement as people see this happening as well. There's something really clearly going on here because here comes this guy riding on a donkey. It must be a king who's coming in. I wonder what this could all be about. Suddenly you hear someone shout the word, Hosanna! All of a sudden, out of the crowd. You know, this is a really, really important word for anyone who is Jewish. It's got so much meaning that's attached to it. It partly means praise God. God's awesome. God's amazing. That's part of what it means. But it also means God save us now. God rescue us now. You are so amazing. You are so powerful. So come and fix what's not right. Come and save us. Come and rescue us. So these shouts of Hosanna start to go up all around the place. Then people add in, Hosanna to the son of David, adding even more meaning into it. It's recognition of King David, the most beloved king in all of Israel's history, the one who really did set Israel up as an incredibly powerful nation. This Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And you know that Jesus is from that line. Could he be this king, this Messiah that everyone's been waiting for? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven, people call out. Hosanna, God, you're in this perspective that is so much bigger than any of us. You sit in heaven where you have all the resources of the universe at your disposal. So come and save us. Come and rescue us with everything that you've got. The shouts grow louder. More and more people join in the celebration. There's dancing. There's excitement. There's joy. Just imagine what it's like. So all these people are heading into Jerusalem. And then we're told that the whole city is in an uproar. And there are all sorts of different understandings about how many people were in Jerusalem for this. Most people would say there was between 150,000, which is a lot, and 2 million, which is staggering when you think about it. There's so much noise going on that this word, the city was in an uproar, is probably better interpreted as it was like the sound of an earthquake. That's how much noise is going on. As all these people are shouting and dancing, the sense of excitement that's there. And so as one of these people, what are you expecting? What's your sense of expectation as this week begins to unfold? Surely you think that as the week rolls on, Jesus is going to be crowned as the king. Jesus is going to take his rightful place as the Messiah, as the saviour, as the rescuer. He's here at last. We're going to get rid of the Romans. We're going to take our rightful place where we deserve to be. We're going to take back power. We're going to enter into a time of prosperity. We're going to be the ones who get to rule again. What's your expectation as you head into this week? Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus instead and ask the same question. What are you expecting if you're Jesus as you head into this week? 
You've just left Jericho. You've spent some time staying with your really close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, your friend who you raised from the dead. You've spent some time with them, celebrating the Sabbath with them. And then you start walking up this road that we looked at last week in the story of the Good Samaritan, the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, the road that weaves up through the valley, through the desert, through the dangerous roads, through the bloody way that we talked about, but it's not dangerous this time because there are people everywhere. There's no danger at all. There's all these crowds that are heading into Jerusalem for the Passover feast, but you know this is going to be a very different Passover for everyone. You know that they're thinking back to that time, back when they were set free from slavery. But you know this Passover is going to mean people are set free in a completely new way. You look around you at the faces of the disciples. They're so happy, so joyful. These people you've spent so much time with and invested so much in. But you wonder, do they know what's actually coming as you head into this week? You tell a couple of your disciples to go and get the colt that you're going to ride on in because you know this imagery is so important. You don't want to come as a king who's a military ruler. You don't want to come as a warlord, as a victorious emperor. You want to reinforce what you've been saying all along, that you have come to serve, that you have come to bring peace. The kingdom that you're focused on is so much more vast than any physical kingdom that people focus on. So they go and get the donkey for you, they put their cloaks on you, and you can see the love and the adoration in the crowd that's around you. And yet you know that in just a few days, they're all going to turn on you. They're all going to turn their backs, and all of that love and adoration is going to turn to anger and hatred. So you come up the hill, up this amazing mountain called Zion, the mountain on which this amazing city, Jerusalem, has been built You finally get to see some green for the first time in a while. As you come up out of the desert, you see these places that have become really important to you. The Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. These places where you've spent time with your disciples over the past few years, but a place that is very dear to your heart and a place where, again, you know you're going to spend some significant time this week. You see the city unfold before you, this amazing spiritual centre of the Israelites, and yet you know that they've missed it. They've missed it all. They've misunderstood and misinterpreted what God's original design was, what God's hopes were, the very way that people were created to live. And so there's an element of grief that wells up in you as you look out over this amazing city. You wish that you could shield them, that you could protect them. You think about the idea of a hen covering its chicks with its wings, and you think, That's what I would love to do for this city, to just be able to protect it. People then start to bring cloaks and branches and lay them on the ground in front of you as you ride on it on the donkey. And as you enter into the city, someone begins shouting, Hosanna, praise God, save us now, rescue us now. And you know that rescue is coming, that the saving is about to happen. But you also know that it's not at all in the way that these people think that it's going to happen. You know where this road leads. So what are you feeling in this moment? Do you feel afraid? 
Do you feel sad about what's going to unfold? Are you able to be present and to soak up the joy and the love that's in the crowd? Or are your thoughts focused on what's going to unfold in the days ahead? You look out at your disciples again. You know what's coming with them. You wonder how they're going to hope, how they're going to cope, how they're going to respond to all of it. You hope that they're going to respond well, but there's this sneaking suspicion that probably they're going to turn their backs on you as things begin to get really, really hard. And so you enter into the city and the week begins. For us then, as we enter into this week, the same question. What are we expecting? As we begin this week that we call set apart, this holy week, what are we sensing is going to happen? And we may be focused on the events that are going to unfold in the next few days, the events that lead up to Good Friday. Jesus spending time with his disciples, the beginning of what we now call communion, the betrayal, one of Jesus' closest friends, turning him in. The arrest, completely unjust. We know that Jesus is completely innocent and yet we know that he gets arrested and falsely accused. The desertion, everyone, everyone, even Jesus' closest friend Peter, turns their back on him. He takes his place as this king, but a king who is mocked, a king who gets a purple robe put on him and a crown of thorns put on his head. Perhaps we're focused on Good Friday. and We're expecting to take some time to be able to reflect there on the sacrifice that Jesus makes for us, the decision that Jesus makes to give his life for us, the symbolism of his blood that is poured out, his very life force, his very life essence that's given so that we can have life the end of the sacrificial system. Once and for all, it's over and done with. This symbol of just how much Jesus loves us. This king who doesn't come to take any lives, but a king who comes to give his own life. Or maybe our expectation is more about getting to Easter Sunday and the opportunity for us to be able to celebrate that death doesn't have the final word. That's not the end of the story. The recognition that Jesus does ultimately take his place as the king, as the saviour, as the rescuer, but he comes to set up a completely different type of kingdom. A kingdom that's eternal, a kingdom that's defined by love and by peace. As we head into this week, are we allowing ourselves to shift our expectations about what it means for us to be able to use this word, Hosanna, to be able to say, King Jesus, come and rescue us. Come and save us. For some of us, as we head into this week, we're struggling. We might be struggling with self-worth or with our identity. And Jesus comes to rescue us from the need that we have to prove ourselves, to feel significant because of what we do. Some of us are struggling a little bit with purpose. We're lost. We're unsure what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus comes to rescue us from lives that don't have any meaning. Some of us are struggling with what we call sin. 
which we've talked about a lot, as being selfishness. We struggle with everything not being about us. Jesus comes to rescue us and to say, there's so much more to life than just what's in it for you. There's so much more that comes when you focus on loving others the way that you're loved. Some of us are struggling with loneliness and isolation. Jesus comes to rescue us and to say, I am with you always. There is never a second of any day in which I'm not with you. I'm there with you. That's a part of the power that comes from Jesus being the resurrected king. So as we head into this week, are we allowing our expectations to be shaped by this kingdom that Jesus has come to set up? Again, not a kingdom that's defined by power or by getting our way, a kingdom that's focused on physical treasure, but a kingdom that's focused on peace and love and relationships. Are we expectant of what it means for us to live lives that are shaped by Jesus' victory? That death has been defeated once and for all. It's done. Sin and selfishness have been defeated once and for all. Evil has been defeated. And we sit on the other side of that. So as we wrap up our message and get ready to transition into communion, what are you expecting as you head into this week? So I said at the start, this is such a key, crucial time for us in the life of our church and in our understanding of everything that we believe. So my prayer and my hope for us is that as we enter into this week, we can allow all of our expectations about what life is all about to be reshaped, to be blown out of the water by these miraculous events that we're about to spend time focused on. These events that do define what we believe, yes, but even more than that, shape everything about who we are and about the lives that we live. So let's pray and then we'll move into a time of communion. Jesus, it's astounding to sit in this place, in this moment, to think about this pivot point in history, to recognise all of the groundswell of what was happening around you and to recognise that as you turn your face towards Jerusalem, as you ride into Jerusalem, there is a path ahead of you that means that you set yourself up as an earthly king, as a military ruler who comes in power to set things right. And it's staggering to us that you would choose not to take that path. But instead, you choose the path that you walk heading into this week. We're so grateful that you do, that you choose to come to show us what a life that's filled with serving others looks like, that you come to show us what a life that's filled with loving others with no exceptions looks like. We're so grateful that you willingly go into all of the events that unfold this week. And we thank you that as you do, that you show us what it looks like for us to wrestle with the questions that come when we feel like we're put in positions that are hard. That moment in the garden where you say, God, if there's any other way, let's go in that direction. But ultimately to say, not your will, but God's. It's a beautiful model for us to be able to follow. And yet we know what that decision makes 
the road that that ultimately takes you on all the way to the cross. And so we look forward to entering into this week, being able to take the time to slow down and to reflect on that, that you would do all of that for us just because you love us, just because you want us to be a part of your family. But we're also grateful that we sit on the other side of it. And we know, unlike the disciples, that this is not the end. We don't have to go through the darkness of Easter Saturday. We have the privilege of being able to know that ultimately you are raised to life and you sit victorious now as the living King Jesus, the one who shapes our lives, the one who gives us purpose, and the one who ultimately allows us to experience everything that we're supposed to experience as we follow you. So as we head into this week, I pray that you would shape and take our expectations and that you would help us to connect with you in deep and significant ways so that you can continue to do the work that you want to do in us and through us. In your name I pray. Amen.